everyone, welcome to the latest Rosenfeld Review Podcast. This is Lou Rosenfeld, your friendly host, and I'm really happy to have Audrey Crane with me today. Hi, Audrey. Hi, Lou. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, Audrey, um, if you're in the Bay Area, you might know her. You might know her for other reasons, too. She's um, uh, uh, the uh, partner responsible for design strategy and research at an agency called Design Map. That's designmap.com, right? Yep. I've known her, I've uh, come across uh, Audrey and some of her team at the Enterprise UX conference in the last few years. Uh, got to know Audrey a little bit. Uh, I'm, uh, she, in the past, worked with uh, Hugh Dubberley, who's a really interesting person, if you, if you know something about him. And, um, I, I like how interesting people seem to find each other, and uh, we've triangulated. So now, um, it, now I know Audrey, and I'm really happy to have her on the show. Uh, Audrey has an interesting topic that I wanted to learn more about, and I thought some of you might as well, and that's design debt. And uh, I think a lot of us have heard the term uh, technical debt, and uh, a lot of us like to um, apply uh, framing from technical areas to design. Ergo, DevOps has helped uh, birth design ops, uh, let's talk about um, this new concept of, uh, of design debt. W- where do we begin? Yeah. Um, well, I, as you say, I'm a, a student of Hugh Deverly's, so of course I had to start by doing some very deep research. But and, and crazy diagrams, right? Yeah, crazy, of course, always with the crazy diagrams. Um, it actually it, it came up for me recently a few months ago we had a client who he isn't a particularly technical guy although he's a very successful kind of serial entrepreneur and he has his product it's pretty it's a mobile product it's pretty focused on millennials and they have instrumented that thing to within an inch of its life and they have watched thousands of people use this product and they're, they're very agile, so they're releasing kind of constantly and updating and tweaking and releasing. And he suggested to me the idea that we've kind of incurred this debt over time where we haven't really reconsidered the whole. We've just been kind of tweak, 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 fine-tuning. And so he's, he used the, the term design debt. We have design debt. Um, and I thought, Gadzooks, that's a brilliant turn of phrase because uh, we are all tech, are all familiar with this idea of technical debt. And I, I also think that designers, we often feel squeezed out at the end, sort of like, well, I've got to rush this thing out. And, it, and even if I don't rush it out, it's this stuff that was a year old, I never get to go back and fix it now that I know something new. And so... Um, Maybe if I borrow an engineering term, people will believe me when I tell them that it's really got to change. So um, so going back to the term technical debt, this phrase was uh, coined in 1992 by an engineer named Ward Cunningham. So this is the guy that we have to thank for wikis, right? He invented wikis. And um, he has a great YouTube video that's maybe 10 minutes long that's describing what he meant. and. He's incredibly eloquent in talking about it, but the idea basically is that you you push code with incomplete understanding. You don't know 
today, what you're going to know a month from today. And that over time, as you learn more, you need to go back and account for what you've learned. And this is called refactoring. And so if you don't, uh, if you don't go back and account for what you learned, there's this little bit of a debt that accrues over time with every change that you don't account for. And then in the end, you, you can kind of end up paying nothing but interest on your debt. It, it adds up over time. It accrues basically, right? And so the goal is to, to refactor over time to make it look, and he has this lovely quote, that we want to make it look in the end as if we knew what we were doing all along and that it was easy to do. So that kind of the effortless feeling of it, which because it's really well constructed, not because they knew everything before they released, but because over time as they learned, they accounted for that learning. So that effortlessness, uh, that, that almost magical aspect, is that something that is perceived uh, by customers, users, decision makers, or, um, or others who may be involved in development? Well, with technical debt in particular, the way that it shows up is that you start to hear engineers use phrases like bubble gum and bailing wire, right? And they start to say, it's, so it, it may be in engineering, it may be opaque, but they say, it's going to fall apart any minute, like it's duct taped together, it's a house of cards, and this gets worse and worse and worse until things start to break, they, they are unable to deal with scale. Or And so um, Marty Kagan actually has a great blog post about, um, it's called Engineering Wants to Rewrite. And it's about his time at eBay and this moment in time when they had incurred so much technical debt and nobody really believed or nobody pushed hard enough or for whatever reason, engineering said, it's going to completely collapse. We have to start from scratch. And that's a terrifying moment for any company. You know, it may well put you out of business, in fact, right? And so um, Marty talks about making this, this deal, this 80-20 deal with the engineering team where you say, look, product management is going to give you 20% capacity right off the top. And you guys spend that however you want. Don't care what you do. Swap out databases, re-architect, rewrite. But in exchange for that 20%, I will... You will miss, make me the promise that you will never tell me that we have to stop and rewrite. Mm -hmm. So he has this 80-20 rule and this kind of shorthand way of saying it. If you don't allocate 20% of your cycles to technical debt reduction, you're, you're going to end up spending 100% on it. That's really interesting. Uh, and it's a great example of eBay because uh, it just so happens in the last week, I've been listening to uh, the Business Wars podcast. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Mm -hmm. uh, and it... Um, uh, one of the uh, segments uh, talks about the, the battles between eBay and PayPal, and they get into the whole issue. They didn't call it technical debt, but th this whole issue of eBay early on, seeing that the engineers just saying, hey, we're screwed. We have to just start over again. And uh, fear that, uh, I guess it was Meg Whitman, uh, yeah. felt at the time, understandably. Um, but let's take this now to... Um, to the design context and, and, and talk a little bit about what kinds of examples of, of design debt um, you're seeing or, or that some of us might be experiencing without even realizing that, that that's design debt. Yeah. So, so one kind of like really fine point I want to put on the, the 
the tactical debt idea that applies to design debt as well is like words Cunningham's the idea seems really seems to me when I was first reading it like oh this is really clear and even obvious and that's what's so brilliant about it because nobody thought of it but now it feels obvious but he actually was kind of criticized and the concept was criticized by bloggers at least if not practitioners probably practitioners too um, who felt like this technical debt debt idea was just an excuse to push sloppy code right so they're like look technical debt happens, we're going to have to refactor, I'm just going to, you know, it's not good, but whatever, we got to release it. So he, he has made a point to come back and say, look, this isn't an excuse for sloppy code, like your code has to be neat. It has to have a clear representation of your understanding at the time. Because otherwise, later, when you come back to refactor, it's like a mess, and you can't, you can't fix it at that point. So, um, a couple of people have started to write about design debt recently, and they're, they are actually seem to be taking this perspective of like, well, design is going to be rushed for time. We're not going to be able to do usability testing. We're just going to have to throw it out. And they are kind of taking this perspective that we're not going to do it right the first time. And that's what we mean by technical debt. So we're going to go back and fix it. And I don't think that that's the best way to use that term. I think it's risky to say like, sloppy is a strong word, but to say like, well, we're just gonna be sloppy because we'll, we'll refactor later as part of, I think what design debt can and should be about is we know something today that we didn't know a month ago mm-hmm. when we designed this. And we're gonna build in time to account for that. And, you know, nothing is ever going to be perfect and it it probably even shouldn't be perfect in an agile world. We could say, well, we don't know if users are even going to engage with this feature. So I'm not going to gold plate it or make it like scale proof to a hundred million or whatever. I'm going to get it out. We're going to learn and then we'll account for that learning. So there's this kind of fine line between, uh, you know, is this like a, a little, off what I think could be perfect or is this like I know it's totally wrong but I'm just shoving it out the door and to be honest with you like I don't know how to say where that scale changes but Mm -hmm. I I do think that what design debt should be about is accounting for things you learn over time because we're all building designing and building stuff incrementally because we're all agile right and we're all learning over time hopefully and so what design debt should be about is accounting for that learning retrospect. So, so the, like the, the idea then of refactoring is really two things, as you're saying, it's, it's learning and then addressing uh, the design through what you've just learned, what you know, yeah. now that you didn't know a month ago. Let's mm-hmm. talk a little bit about the learning part. You know, and I know there's, there's probably just tons of opinions about this thanks to, uh, you know, the emergence of agile and lean and how design relates to those things. But how do you see that learning, that, that constant little cycle that's trying to connect the line of reality of your design with the, the, uh, the line of the ideal of your design and trying to continually knit them or bring them closer together? Is that a formal learning? Is it, uh, you know, are there methods or approaches to user research that, um, you know, you need to consciously pursue? Uh, or is it more of the accidental or almost happenstance learning that designers just tend to do because they're close to the design and they're close to the users and they just can't help but not. Yeah. 
I mean, the answer probably has to be both, of course, right? Um, that you need to build in time to learn. And part of that, frankly, is just setting the expectation that it's not perfect, that we have to talk to users, that things will change over time. Um, so that kind of formal setting, five for Fridays or whatever people do. And then I, I do think there's this other kind, which is in the same category as what you're describing. It's like, okay, well, we had a, you know, a super simple example. It's like we had a date picker widget uh, and then we got that, we built that in five sprints ago. And now here we are, and we need a date picker that allows you to pick a start and end date. So it's a slightly different date picker than that one. And actually it would work better there too. So like my system that I'm designing is growing. And do I, do I like go back and account for that? Or maybe I'm adding something to the navigation and I just like put it up there because I don't know if anybody's going to use it, but people are going to use it. And now I know like, okay, people are going to use it and I've added two things and this system doesn't really work. Do I just leave it or do I, do I kind of reconsider it to make it better and then apply that to the site as a whole? So it's this, so that widget libraries and style guides and things, right, are supposed to be these things that grow, but not just grow, like we're not just tacking stuff onto the nav or adding new date pickers, but is evolving so that I don't end up a year later with seven different date pickers and a nav that went all to hell. So it's right. probably both those things, right, like designer driven as well as research driven. That's interesting. You're making me think uh, and not happy thoughts. Uh, about the Rosenfeld Media site, and, um, <laughs> e even our little company with our, our little web presence, I can start really identifying uh, areas of, of design debt. And it's interesting how um, even in a small company, a lot of it is driven by scale, uh, although we knew some of those problems were going to happen way in advance. So, for example, uh, we have a page where we show all the books we've published. It's basically our storefront. It's it's kind of broken. Um, it's it, it it made pretty good sense a few years ago when we had many fewer books. Now we have I don't know thirty six or something like that. It's too big. The, the, we show covers that uh, uh, the shape of the image was designed uh, for our original book series, but now we have two new imprints and they don't fit in that space. The, the aspect ratio is out of whack and. You know, so, uh, yeah, um, a lot of this is just stuff we could have predicted and did predict in many respects. Now we're kind of dealing with, like, well, I, I guess the issue is, like, which debt are we going to pay back? Is it, you know, that or the problems that we have with our shopping cart or something else, you know? Mm -hmm. so maybe one of the big issues is, is – um, not just prioritizing, but sort of knowing in advance what your priorities are going to be. In other words, if there's some predictive work we can do to kind of be ready to pay back that debt so that, you know, a year or two later, we're not like, oh, not just drowning in problems or we don't even know where to begin. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, you're making me think of a couple of things. Like one is the, the good news about, Ward Cunningham's definition of design debt, which is associated with learning, is that it's good for you to have design debt <laughs> because it means that you learned over time, right? Versus 
the other definition would be bad because you were sloppy. So great news that you have designed at Lou. Congratulations on that. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> it's, um, it's, it seems like it's kind of related to this other kind of engineering centric term that I, I'm not a huge fan of, but future proofing, right? Mm -hmm. And if you look at how engineers write about future proofing, they really are writing about um, modularization and mm -hmm. that things are, are um, both in systems and are self-contained enough that they can be swapped out, which I think refers back to just being kind of clear and neat about the work that you do when you do it so that kind of exists in a system and in a module that you can replace. It's tricky, right? Because if it's just totally unrelated chunks of things, then you lack coherence and co consistency and, and some of the value of a product. And that's actually what our client came to us with was this, like his product actually was like six different products in terms of look and feel and even functionality because he was just tweaking this thing here and this thing there. So, so it's like or, be organized and systematic and modular mm -hmm. so that you can replace things in the future, not knowing exactly where your priorities will be, but to your point, planning. But I do think there's another kind of question, which is like when you go back and reconsider the whole, right? Like not fixing your books, you know, your page of books or not fixing my date picker, right? But like, when do we go reconsider this thing as a whole unit? Um, and I don't know the answer to that question. I think these little things, you could argue for the 20%, like same 20% that engineering gets, we get to fix right. that. Um, and we keep doing that. And that system grows up and matures and looks really um, smart and simple. Uh, but the big reconsideration is a different, a different beast altogether, maybe. Well, I think there's probably um, something of a spectrum of the types of design debt you, you might accrue. There are things that are going to be at a micro level, like you could argue date picker is an example of that. And then there are things um, at really more of a systems level. Mm -hmm. uh, and it could be the, the type of future proofing that you're describing might help you more with former um, with the latter, you, you have to take a broader view um, in advance. And one thing I was going to throw out is the, um, the idea that um, I learned uh, from Gamestorming, a, a book by Dave Gray and Sonny Brown and, and James McAnufo, which when I was still consulting, I found it just to be something of a, a Bible as a, as a consultant. Great book. Um, and uh, one of the exercises, or actually one of the, the early techniques that they mentioned is... Uh, pre-mortems. Mm -hmm. I love that. Pre-mortem. And uh, what, what could go wrong? Let's think about what, what you know, this, these are designed for meetings. So you, you have a pre-mortem before the meeting starts. So you hopefully minimize the post-mortem you, you will have after. <laughs> maybe that kind of broader look at what could happen is, is it, it might be helpful for uh, addressing design debt at a at more of a systems level. We can certainly go on a, a bit more about this um, and uh, um, maybe we'll have you on another podcast at some point because I'd also like to 
uh, learn what your feeling is about running an agency in, in 2018. And it's a kind of an odd time for agencies. And, um, you know, some of us like myself have been predicting the death of agencies for, for like a 10 years now. <laughs> Clearly I'm wrong, but I do think some things have changed. So I'd love to come back and talk about that again uh, when we have some more time. Uh, in the meantime, I'd like to um, wrap up by asking you if you could tag someone, someone that you think is really interesting. Maybe they're famous, maybe they're not, but uh, maybe the next person I should have on the Rosenfeld Review podcast. Yeah, well, um, I would love to come on again and talk about why agencies are not a thing of the past, because <laughs> that's my perspective. Um, but I... Uh, I think that would be a super fun conversation to have with you. And in terms of tagging someone, I had to tag Hugh Deberly, who doesn't promote himself much, if at all, but gave me my entire career and mindset about design and lots of other things besides. And I, I know um, he's absolutely the most brilliant person I know, and we all could learn something from him. So if you can if you can haul him out of his office, that would be amazing. I would love to hear a podcast with him. He is a quiet guy. Yes. He doesn't like to blow his own horn, but you are one of many people who has um, described their experience with you as, as certainly career changing. So thank you for mentioning Hugh. Hugh, if you're listening, well, you're probably not, but maybe <laughs> someone will tag, will we'll forward this to you. Please do. Yeah, we'll, we'll be in touch. Um, and uh, I'll put a, a couple of really brief plugs in. As you may know, Rosafel Media is putting out the second Design Ops Summit. It's going to be in Manhattan, in the great city of New York, November 7th through 9th. And I just want to say that it is selling like mad. Early registration uh, is wrapping up at the end of, uh, I think, August 28th. I, I think this podcast will be out before then. Um, and... Uh, yeah, we're, we're seeing huge interest in the conference. So if you're thinking of coming, register because it's going to sell out designopssummit.com. And uh, if you're interested in design ops and you don't have the, the, the cash, um, I am running a free design ops monthly community call. I do it on Zoom. It's a conference call, a video conference. And um, I'm also running an Enterprise UX a monthly call, separate one. And that's free as well. If you're interested in either of those topics, I would be more than happy to send you a calendar invite uh, with Zoom login instructions and a link to the agenda. Uh, I just need you to email me. Your, so I have your email address. So email us at info at rosenfeldmedia.com if you want to join either the Enterprise UX or, and or Design Ops uh, monthly community video conference calls. Uh, Audrey Crane, it's great to have you join us today. Audrey, one of the partners at DesignMap, that's designmap.com, great agency in the Bay Area. Thanks again. Yeah, thanks. And I can plug DesignOps too. We had a great time there last year, a ton of great content, really forward thinking. So was glad to be there, glad to be here. Thanks so much. Looking forward to the next one. We could talk about how long agencies will be around and how successful they'll be. <laughs> Great. Thanks, Audrey. Great okay. to have you on the show. Thanks, Lou.